It's a big week when RHAP is on the road in Chicago. Check out my live show from Chicago. That's going to be up on Thursday, Wednesday night. Shannon Gus is going to be live with you with Kelly Wentworth after Survivor. And we preview the Dondi finale with Dealer No Deal Island host Joe Manganiello all right here on RHAP. We know reality TV. everyone. I'm Sarah Carradine, podcasting from Aora, Sydney. I'm Mari Forth. And this is Crime Scene, the true crime review podcast where we get to the heart of how true crime stories are told. You can get this fine program along with all the fantastic reality TV content by subscribing to robhaswebsite.com slash feed. That's R-H-A-P-U-P-S. We'd love it if you would subscribe to our feed as well. Please go to robhaswebsite.com slash crime feed so you'll get your true crime on Tuesdays. If you've already subscribed, thank you very much. Sarah, what did we watch this week? We watched JFK One Day in America. This was directed by Ella Wright, who also directed The Real Crown Inside the House of Windsor. And it comes from National Geographic, who produced 9-11 One Day in America in 2021. 2021 was the 20th anniversary of the attacks on the World Trade Center and the Pentagon. And this year marks the 60th anniversary of the assassination of President Kennedy. And we are delighted to welcome back to the scene documentarian and author Dylan Reeve, who last joined us to break down the kooky and wonderful docuseries Telemarketers in episode 71 in August. Hey, Dylan. Hi, thank you. I've just strolled down from the grassy knoll and I'm. Decided to talk about this. I see. Have you folded your umbrella? I have. And yes, right at the exact moment. (laughs) Well, we're glad you're back. Thanks. And thanks for bringing it to my attention because I wouldn't, I don't think I would have sought this out otherwise. So that was, I appreciate that. Yes, I must say, uh, Mari, you were the one that uh, brought this to the table. I almost certainly would not have seen it had you not. So, yeah, I'm intrigued to get to our discussion. Mm-hmm. But first, to the crimes. On 22nd of November 1963, President John F. Kennedy was shot by an assassin while riding in an open-topped car through Dealey Plaza in Dallas, Texas. He was 46 and the youngest president of the United States ever elected. Also in the car was Governor John Connolly, who was seriously wounded. Officer J.D. Tippett of the Dallas PD was killed 45 minutes later. 24-year-old former Marine Lee Harvey Oswald was arrested for these crimes. And two days later, nightclub owner Jack Ruby shot and killed Oswald in the basement of Dallas Police Headquarters. Ruby was found guilty and sentenced to death. He appealed and was granted a new trial but became ill and died in January 1967 at Parkland Hospital, the same place Kennedy, Connolly and Oswald had been taken after being shot. 
The President's Commission on the Assassination of President Kennedy, which we know more generally as the Warren Commission, concluded in 1964 that President Kennedy was assassinated by Lee Harvey Oswald and that Oswald acted entirely alone. It also concluded that Jack Ruby also acted alone. And that's all there is to say about the assassination <laughs> of JFK. Yeah, I've uh, never heard anyone mention anything else. That, yeah. that's, that's it. It's settled and done. Case uh, closed. Podcast case, over. Case closed. Public, <laughs> yes. Interestingly, this one day in America setup. I'm sort of intrigued to watch the 9-11 one as well. What the this one on JFK does is simply talk to people who were there who were who were there so it's eyewitnesses 60 years later just probably just in time because everybody's quite old and asks them what was your experience what did you see on the day so Dylan get us started what did you think generally about this docu-series this three-part docu-series I mean the thing that struck me almost immediately was how visually satisfying it was I've seen quite a lot of JFK footage Mm -hmm. over the years. And, you know, you're quite used to seeing the same old archive footage, which is mostly newsreel footage that was presumably transferred to videotape sometime in the 90s. Or, you know, it it hasn't come fresh off the film. It looks a bit crap, to be honest. You know, and this one, they've gone to an incredible effort, I think, to really restore and, and find footage that we haven't seen before. A lot of it was, you know, it was quite amazing at times to be like, I can't believe there's footage of that. Like, wow, this, 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 this footage is really interesting and insightful. You'd almost feel like it was, you know, being directed. Um, and I don't mean that in a conspiratorial way, but it just, there was, there was, <laughs> you know, yeah, yeah, yeah. There was these insights and moments that it, it was almost surprising to learn that they existed. Um, on the other hand, the film is not is any sort of um, investigative narrative. Mm-hmm. Like if you're moderately familiar with the story of JFK and the assassination around or his assassination, you're not going to learn anything new, particularly there's a little bit of insight, obviously from some of the individuals who are speaking about their experiences and emotions and perceptions, but you know, it's, it's a pretty straightforward kind of, telling of what took place um, juxtaposed with very good footage that illustrates those events and some fairly perfunctory interview about the events. Um, and it's a satisfying watch. Was, you know, that, that's my overall impressions. And, and Mari, what about you? What are your overall thoughts? Um, I think it was like a beautifully uh, constructed, very well produced, boring piece of media. Like Ooh. it was good. It was great for what it was. But like Dylan said, if you have any knowledge surrounding the um, assassination of uh, JFK or the multitude of conspiracy theories and stuff like that, you this isn't for you. You know what I'm saying? Like this is not. For somebody who, like Dylan said, wants to learn more, who wants to know the forensic side of it. We know I love that. And that was not here. Um, nothing like that. Um, which isn't bad because what we got was actually very good. 
because seeing all of this archival footage and seeing all of this, like Dylan said, it's like, I can't believe we had this much footage from that day and all of this like firsthand accounts and stuff like that. I think it was breathtaking. Like it was almost like being transported back to that day. And if you're transported back to that day, you don't know what's going on. <laughs> so, so I do like that. That's kind of how it plays out. It plays out as almost like um, from the, the view of, uh, of an average citizen, we get the, we get the view of reporters. We get the view of the average citizens. We get the view of um, the secret service and, it was mass chaos for, for a long time, you know, which, which makes sense. Like seeing the president killed right in front of you and not knowing for a while, like what actually happened. And, um, you know, at this point, 60 years plus not knowing what happened, it, it, it's really a time traveling piece, but it has so much sad piano in the background. I really, I fell asleep so many times. Oh. To rewind. <laughs> Again, it could be my state, but I was just like, it was good. Like it was good for what it was, but I mean, oh my gosh, I was like, I was tired. It, it, it tries to, it really tries to pull on your heartstrings. And, and sorry, that, that's another thing. I thought it did a good job of humanizing the story because we, if you have heard this story as many times, if you have watched that film as many times as you have, you get very desensitized to it and you can get wrapped up to it, wrapped up into the why of it all, but not really feel the weight of a sitting president being murdered or, or being in his wife's shoes as she's right there with him or being in the frightened um, shoes of the, all the Dallas people who effectively had a, a spree killer on the loose, you know, um, when they didn't know who who killed him. So it's like, I, I like that the human element was very much in the forefront of this, um, to say the least. But yeah, if, if, if you're even remotely into all con the conspiracies and everything behind it, this is probably not going to be for you. What do you think, Sarah? I, I liked this very much. I, I liked the rather stately pace. You know, mm. I know we like things that get on with it, but mm. once you key into the fact it is going to be quite stately, uh, I liked the person on the street uh, footage, which I'd never seen before, at news interviews where, you know, a shocked news person has to ask a shocked citizen, you know, what is this like for you? Mm -hmm. And people in that time were not ready with a soundbite. They were affected and unable to express themselves, which I found I found very moving. The other thing is I have never seen all the footage inside the Dallas police headquarters wow. with Lee Harvey Oswald being so paraded wild. up and down packed corridors, absolutely packed. And... It's. I've never really questioned how Jack Ruby got close enough to shoot him, but right. you think anybody could, anybody could <laughs> shoot him uh, yeah. in the two days that he was paraded up and down. And Maria was reminded of La Mahavietas when she mm -hmm. gave a press conference when she was arrested. This is the serial killer in Mexico mm -hmm. be, having an unfiltered press conference. They gave Lee Harvey Oswald to the press. I I didn't know that. Wild. So, Wild. I didn't know that either. 
So I've seen a lot of the more public, you know, coming down the stairs of Air Force One. And as soon as she is wearing her raspberry suit, you think, okay, here we are. This is the day. Mm. We know that outfit really well. We know John F. Kennedy Jr. saluting in his little blue coat. We know those very public things. But these, no, it's not private because they were news footage, but this stuff that I hadn't seen I found absolutely fascinating. And then I think that the people that they found to talk to, they found uh, the, the Secret Service agents who were protecting Jacqueline. Sid Davis, the Washington correspondent, I found him very interesting. Mm-hmm. I could have listened to him mm-hmm. forever. And then even this sort of really minor, apparently, eyewitnesses, Gail and Bill Newman, who you think, oh, they just went to look, and then we see them on the news footage, uh, each of them with their bodies over the bodies of their young children, Mm. uh, live bodies of their Mm. young children to protect them. And you think they had this moment in history. uh, We didn't know their name. They didn't really tell us anything except what happened to them that day. But this idea of people carrying stories, we see many of of the talking heads 60 years later being unable to speak, having tears in their eyes, uh, talking about not at great length, but talking about the effect that that this event had on them, or more, more not talking about the effect this had on them, and leaving us to draw their conclusions. So, I liked that we didn't go into an invest any investigation. We didn't really get very much about how the police found Oswald, except we did speak to the shoe shop owner who yeah. I didn't know anything about, who said, yeah, he went into the theatre. So Yeah, okay. exactly. There were things like, so seeing the Newmans, like being able to see, they'll show the footage. The, the way that this was put together really was so interesting and a, definitely a different take on a lot of the JFK properties that I've seen. And so the way that they would do it, how they would show a photo of somebody back, you know, in 1963 with their name, and then they would fade out to them today. It, I love that. And going like back and forth, you know what I'm saying? Because mm-hmm. the Newmans, if you've, if you've watched this footage from every angle, you've seen the Newmans in that, in all of the footage. So, so to even have them there just to say like, yeah, we were there and we covered our children was still kind of like, like, wow, like oddly, like connecting. Yeah. And then the part where Kennedy actually gets assassinated almost is kind of like an afterthought of it all. I've seen the Zapruder footage several times, backwards and forwards, like colorized, decolorized, whatever. You know what I'm saying? Like we've seen it dozens of times. And the way that they did it, where they showed us the footage without the shot audio, I found very fascinating. Dylan, did you have Mm -hmm. any thoughts about that? Yeah. I mean, it's, it's interesting because that's how it was recorded, of course. There was no right. sound. It's an eight millimeter film. It didn't have sound. Um, and in fact, not only that, there there are no uh, good recordings of what took place in Delhi Plaza audio wise. Mm-hmm. There's some stuff that was captured on a on a police radio, but that's sort of nondescript and not very good. Um, so, it, you know, it's good that they've been sort of true to the footage in that moment. And it was interesting because I was thinking about it when I watched it. There's an entire day missing in the film. We we hear nothing about what happened on November the 23rd, which is obviously the day after. And I, I was, when I watched it, I was like, oh, that's weird. And then I think about it afterwards and it's because essentially if there wasn't some sort of 
film or in some cases photographs to kind of illustrate the point they were talking about. It didn't exist in the film. In the same way that in the immediate aftermath of the shooting, when, um, oh, I forget his name, Officer Baker, I think it was, the um, Dallas police officer who immediately went into the, the, book, the school book depository and uh, encountered Oswald. Um, that's not mentioned in the documentary at all. Because, of course, he didn't have a newsreel camera with him. There was no photographers in the book depository there. So that part of the story, because it can't be illustrated in this kind of found footage observed way, Mm -hmm. just isn't part of it. And I guess, and thinking about it, when I started watching it, the first episode, I'm like, okay, I I guess we'll we'll just do the setup and then we're probably going to touch on what happened. And then we're probably going to touch on some of the, you know, controversy or questions around it. You know, because it felt like the elephant in the room or on the grassy knoll to not mm-hmm. be talking about the conspiracy theory because JFK's assassination is as close to a mainstream conspiracy theory as you get. Like I, some survey not that long ago, maybe eight or ten years ago, had um, belief that there was more than one shooter or that it was a coordinated effort at, at like 65% of the US population. Wow. Like we're, it's a majority of people don't believe the quote unquote official story. So it, it felt like that would have to be addressed and it's not. And I think it felt weird to me when I was watching it. And I think when I think back on it now, it's fine. It's just not what the film was. Mm-hmm. And I yeah. think it's very easy to criticize a film or a television show um, for not being what you thought it should be. <laughs> Um, but you know it's fair it's fair to expect that sometimes your expectations of what a thing is and what they are are not the same and it's not necessarily fair to criticize it based on your expectations so in that context it was it was great and I think back on it now I really like what they did with it but Mm -hmm. it is it is still slightly it's slightly underwhelming I guess no Mm -hmm. it's just just, it feels like discordant almost to talk Mm -hmm. about JFK without talking about the conspiracy around it, which has become bigger, inextricably tied to it. Yeah. yeah, I think one of the strengths to me of the film is that we bring our knowledge, and you know, here we are, an Australian and a New Zealander on a on a podcast talking about a very American event. It it is known all over the world, you know, we mm-hmm. lost a prime minister called Harold Holt and nobody knows his name. Uh, he disappeared. <laughs> I we know never his found name. Him. You know his name. We never found uh, him. Uh, there's but a Harold Holt Memorial Swimming Pool, is there not? There is indeed, yes. Mm-hmm. <laughs> he went swimming in the sea and never came back. Uh, uh, Japanese midget subs. Anyway, it's, it's so part, I mean, I was alive then and living in California, obviously. I was very young. Thank you, everybody. Mm-hmm. Extremely young, but it would have been something that affected my parents. It's not something that I think we ever spoke about, but it's something that people born 40, 50 years after the events know about, know something about, have certainly seen the images, certainly uh, seen some of the footage that we do see, but so much of it we we haven't seen. What I liked was seeing the footage I have seen in a different way because we spoke to Clint Hill, whose codename was Dazzle, and Paul Landis, whose codename was Debut because he was a very young man uh, at the time. Because we have spoken to them now, when we go back to 
footage of them coming off Air Force One. Instead of looking at what the camera at the time wanted us to look at, Mm. uh, um, JFK and Jackie, we are looking around them. We are looking around the major players to see these, I don't want to call them minor, but but these these other people who were there who are now able to talk to us about their experience. And I found that really fascinating. I think something that makes me look at something familiar in a different way. Um, it, yeah, it's a great experience. Yeah, absolutely. I think that the three parts, they made sense. They weren't, um, it, nothing felt unnecessary to me. Like, I, I don't know if I'm coming off harsh about the property. Um, well, but, you have called it boring and underwhelming, but I sort of get the idea you quite liked it. Yes, but not exactly. Like, <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Like, you can be bored and underwhelmed by something and still, I still don't, like, it's not like I think I wasted, like, three hours of my life when yeah. we've had property no. that I'm yeah. like, yeah. I want, I want a refund on my time. Um, <laughs> it was, it was, it's very in line with almost like a National Geographic product. You know what I'm saying? Mm. Um, and I, I thought like the first episode being about like the setup about them on the way to, um, you know, on the way to Dallas, how the, the tour is going. The whole first episode, I was like, this feels like this is more about Jackie Kennedy because we're talking to the, her two Secret Service people. And I wasn't like mad about it. But again, I wasn't expecting it. I guess like most of this property can be summed up to like, I just I guess this was not what I was expecting, but not in a in a bad way. Um, because I, I loved all the footage. I love hearing like kind of like the back story of like uh, Jackie wasn't even going to go to that breakfast. But she, mm. did, but you know, they asked her to go and stuff like that, and um, and then it culminates in again the assassination, which again them not focusing on that I thought was interesting because you're like, what? Isn't that why we're here? But again, I had never heard the Zabruder uh, footage without a, a a manipulated shot sound effect, um, so. I don't think at least I've, I've watched so much stuff, but mm. um, so mm. like, or at least an indication of when the, you know, you know how like, it's like, and, and the shot with one here, shot two here, you know what I'm saying? Yeah. Like, yeah. <laughs> Count the shots. Count the, shot. Count yeah. the shots. <laughs> exactly. Um, so for the footage to kind of just play through, no stopping, no, da, 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 no focusing. So and they much don't on, return to it. It's just exactly. once if you miss it, that's it. Exactly. Please for that. Yeah, yeah. We Which know he is, got shot. We've seen exactly. Very. It, it was kind of refreshing in a weird way. Um, and then you go. Then episode two is the manhunt for Lee Harvey Oswald. And now that Dylan points out the, I guess I didn't realize the one day missing thing, but that now makes sense because I even went back and rewatched episode two, and I was thought, and I thought maybe it was because I again I kind of fell asleep on that one. And then mm-hmm. I went back and, you know, so I technically I've watched episode two almost three times. Um, but now, now that Dylan pointed it out, it could have just been the disjointment of them not having that said footage to to really um, round out that that section. And then finally seeing all of the footage of, um, you know, episode three being titled Revenge, where Lee Harvey Oswald is killed. And that I mean, that perfect footage of Jack Ruby killing lee harvey oswald is it still astounds me to this day all of those the still photos and the video itself just so Mm. crisp and clear it's it's very it's unnerving 
in a way that it is seeing somebody be like murdered on film. But it's just like they had so many cameras there, like so much, just so much footage. And I, I honestly, maybe Dylan knows where was wasn't Lee Harvey? Was he not wearing a bulletproof vest or? No, I don't think he was. Oh, so was it? A, it was a regular vest because I yep. always. Oh my! They God. thought he was safe. He's I in thought- the police parking garage. They've <laughs> theoretically only got accredited people in there, but I was Jack so Ruby's co- wandered down. Jack That's Ruby is wondering. a friend, a friend of the police. So, uh, Dylan, get us started on on episode two. A lot of this is corridors and and yeah. Lee Harvey Oswald. And one of the things that I never realised was that you can see Jack Ruby in the film of that day as mm. well. Yeah. We start episode two with Buell Frazier, who, whose name I had not heard before. Uh, he's now 79. He was a co-worker of Lee Harvey Oswald. He drove Oswald to work that day with yes. a packet so of he lived curtain near, rods in the back seat. He lived near Oswald and gave him. So Oswald stayed uh, in a suburb outside of um, Dallas and commuted in at the beginning. So he lived with his wife uh, in someone else's house, a friend's house. They kind of stayed there together. And he would commute in on a Monday morning and stay in like a, a you know, a rented accommodation for the week and then go back uh, to the suburb for the weekend on the Friday. So he'd go with Bill Fraser Usually he'd come in on the Monday with him and go back on the Friday. Buell would commute back and forth each day, but Oswald stayed in Dallas for the week. So he was taking, allegedly, um, curtain rods to, you know, pretty up his apartment. Huh. And, yeah, that's 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 the beginning of, wow. of that day yeah, for, I, I, for him. I love Buell saying I'm a time traveller because he says he thinks about it every day because mm. in the second episode we find out he was taken in for questioning at the at the police department. Yeah, I think that second episode, like I know the story of JFK's assassination reasonably well, and I knew that there were media all around the police station pretty much from the moment it took place and certainly from the moment um, Oswald was brought in. But to a level, I don't think, I can't think of any other like, even high-profile crime situation that I've seen where the, the press are just in the corridors at the police station. And not only that, they're broadcasting live. Like There's live television cameras in there, and I don't know mm-hmm. if you know a lot about television cameras from the 1960s, <laughs> but they were not small. They were not on – these things were not on a shoulder. They were built on a on a big pedestal. There was, you know, it was like, you know, two guys – taking three or four trips to bring the thing into the building and then a massive cable running out to a you know truck outside. Like wow. the fact that it was live broadcast from inside the police station, there was um, it's just an uncountable number of press in there. Was, it's just amazing. And to see the chaos of it in this documentary is, is and I guess that's what this documentary brings that is quite unique because I've seen clips of, I've seen clips of Oswald's weird little press conference thing. I've seen clips of him being pushed through the corridors, through the throng of press. I've obviously seen clips of you know him being killed by Jack Ruby. I've seen all of those uh-huh. things independently. What uh-huh. I've never seen is the is the offcuts around the outside of all of that, the stuff that wasn't those key moments. Uh-huh. And that's what this documentary brings. And that's I guess that's fundamentally what this documentary brings across the entire three episodes is that 
it's all of the other footage that exists around the moments that we've seen before. But it's so much of the other footage that exists. Like stuff that when you're making a normal documentary about JFK, sure, it might turn up in your archive requests, but you're just going to chuck it to the side because it's not moving the story along or whatever it needs to do. You know, you're just keep right. it, keeping the, the functional, important, super key moments. You're playing the Zapruder film five, six times. You're, you know, you're, <laughs> Just little bits and pieces because you're mostly sitting in interview and, and stuff like that. And this one's kind of the opposite. We're mostly sitting in this, uh, what we call actuality footage, I suppose, or, mm-hmm. or you know, yeah. And, and we're just popping into interviews here and there. And it's, um, yeah, and I, I guess episode two is kind of even more amazing for that because it's, it's almost mundane in what's happening at that point. Like it's procedural. It's, it's. It's he's being arraigned and he's being, you know, questioned and it's just media hanging around on the corridors and it's just mm-hmm. investigative stuff. It's not the things you'd normally expect to see in a documentary. So that's interesting. Uh, Dylan, had you heard the um, the uh, audio from the citizen calling in from uh, J.D. Tippett's radio? I had. Yeah. Mm. And that was. And of course. That plays out. I can't remember what the what the footage was under that, but obviously there was no newsreel camera, right? You know, there. So they gave us a blank screen with white with yeah. white text. White text, yeah. Mm-hmm. And I guess that's what they made the choice they had to make, right? Because it wasn't. It's not a documentary that has any recreations, and it. it's not a documentary that's using mm-hmm. footage in kind of like a generic B roll fashion. So if you want to see right. something, if you want to hear something that you can't see, that's it, what we're doing it almost comes out of like nowhere because if I remember correctly, we're following the police as they are, as they find the rifle in the book depository or something like that. Uh, Did you enjoy them handling the rifle without gloves, Mary? Oh yeah. And just above their head. (laughs) Yeah. I love that. And then holding it by the strap, you know, (laughs) mostly. And the butt, but mostly, yeah. yes, mostly, mostly, um, yeah, and, and it's it's kind of like where the police are like trying to investigate the case, and then all of a sudden they're like, oh yeah, we we a call came through. So again, the the way they handle it is is very interesting. Like Dylan said, no recreation. So the we're getting the police, you know, scrambling to to find evidence, and then all of a sudden they're told that one of their colleagues is is killed a few, um, well, blocks away or something like that. So. Yeah. Very fascinating. I, I got a, a very strong uh, feeling, which I hadn't before, about the scrambling that the police and the press were doing. I mean, we think of yeah. the police moving into action in a regimented fashion, you know, whether we approve of it or not. Mm-hmm. But you really got, especially the film inside the book depository, where they're searching and then they find this rifle. It's like people are grabbing and pulling and, and <laughs> it feels very frantic. And then we hear from Paul Landis' debut, we hear that he breaks down and basically his mm. boss comes over and says, pull yourself together. I mean, it's a extraordinary courageous of him to actually relate that this is what happened. And you can see why he left the Secret Service almost immediately afterwards. But, you know, Secret Servicemen breaking down, policemen climbing over each other, you know, press, well, we expect the press to be slightly chaotic. But I really liked that non-contemporary uh, mm-hmm. police procedure that was going on. 
you know something that has absolutely nothing to do with anything that I was just like oh wow like back then the police officers at least the the ones that we're seeing in the police headquarters they weren't wearing like uniforms they were wearing Mm -hmm. like suits and I was like who's the police and who's the press you know I found that kind of fascinating. At one point, the police were clearly visible by the, they were all wearing matching cowboy hats. Cowboy hats, yes. <laughs> well, it's Texas. Yes. Yeah. Yes. The only What's distinguishing interesting, figure. figure of it. You're talking about the, the chaos that ensued. I think, okay, so, I mean, I think part of the reason you wanted to talk to me about this is because I've written a book about conspiracy theories. And one of the things that what you describe and what we see here that we normally never see in coverage of something like this or in, or in a... A, you know, a fictionalized version later on or in like a, a polished documentary is is that chaos, right? And I think what mm-hmm. happens a lot with conspiracy thought is that people feel like things have to be, operate in a certain organized and structured way mm-hmm. that they have those kind of, and I, I, it always baffles me because I've, you know, lived a certain amount of life and I'm like, no, shit's chaotic all the time. Like, mm-hmm. what's going Of course, you know, and so you see chaos and the outcomes of chaos. In fact, you usually don't see the chaos, of course. You just see the outcomes of the chaos. You're like, what do you mean the 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 gun, the evidence was was moved between the time this photo was taken and this other photo was taken? It's like, yeah, it was mm-hmm. a chaotic nightmare in there. But you don't see that. So what you do is you see those two things, these two photos that are slightly, you know, a little bit apart in time and how a couple of things are a little different between them. And you're like, aha, it's a conspiracy. And you're like, no, it's just chaos. Um, and mm-hmm. it's the same, I think, with a lot of this stuff, right? You, yeah, I, I think it's it's just it's fascinating seeing these moments that don't usually get illustrated because they do kind of um, show just how everything simultaneously they show how everything is super imperfect, how how people are chaotic, how things go wrong all the time. What they also show is just how how coincidences work, right? Just how like how how many sort of fascinating like the fact that we've got uh-huh. these footage of these people doing different things at different times and you know oh there just happened to be a camera pointed at this at the right time you know like uh-huh. we're talking about seeing footage of people that we've seen photographs of well how did you happen to, well, isn't it amazing that this these people who were critical you know who were favored later that they just happened to be photo it's like yeah there's lots of stuff is happening and we get a filtered view of it and I think what's interesting about this is it's unfiltering a little bit. Yes, I think I, I, you're absolutely right. The I have seen the photo, the still photographs of Marina Oswald, uh, Lee Harvey Oswald's wife, holding the baby and coming through a throng of men. I've seen a photograph, but we actually saw like a, a lengthy uh, film of it where she is protecting the baby's head, trying to get through the men, like there's no comment made about it, but you get a very different feeling when you see her, her confusion. She doesn't speak English. She's carrying a very small baby. And there's this incredible throng of the men around her, almost all men, and the cameras on her. And this product, this project, lets that play I imagine for the length of time they have the footage and you mm. get a completely different feeling of the sensation of of that person. And then we get contemporary commentary from their friend Ruth Payne, who was not a fan of Lee's, I don't think. She, mm-hmm. she was not. Although, she interestingly, was who they were she got with. on the job. Right, yeah. yeah. True. 
So is there anything else we want to say before we give our ratings? And then Dylan, Murray and I would like to give you the floor to talk sort of more generally about <laughs> conspiracies and why people like them and what they get out right. of holding these ideas. So Dylan, how many magnifying glasses are you going to rate JFK one day in America out of a possible five? I'm going to give it four magnifying glasses. Um, I think it's incredibly good at executing on what I presume the vision was. I think it's, if you judge it based on what you probably thought you were about to watch, then you might land with a fewer number of magnifying glasses. But Mm -hmm. once you get to the end and take a moment to consider what it was they were actually trying to do and how well they've executed it, I think it's a, a solid four. Thank you. And Mari, how many magnifying glasses will you give this docu-series? Yeah, I was going back and forth between a 4 and a 3.5 in my head. So I'm going to give it a 3.75. You're breaking the ratings. I am. Um, Because I agree. Like I said, everything about it, like what it presented was was so beautifully done and so and done in a way that I hadn't seen before and access to footage that I hadn't seen before or or necessarily didn't really remember. Um, And for what it was, it was really good. Um, The slow paceness of it can hurt, you know, because, you know, when the business of watching true crime and how we've seen it evolved and how sensationalized it could be. And so if you're used to the sensationalized version of this story of the JFK assassination, then this isn't for you. I I did like it. Like I said, I did like it. I just like, I'm not jumping up and down about it. I'm not going to go back and watch it again. Um, But I would suggest people watch it if you want a, if you want to see what it was like that day, I feel like I was transported to that day in Dallas in November. So I, I do like that aspect of it a lot. So that's all I'll give it 3.75. How about you, Sarah? I liked it very much. Uh, I think I'm going to give it a 4.5. Mm-hmm. Uh, I liked the pace. I liked that it just did this one thing. What do we have? footage of and who are the people who are still alive who can talk about it. It's almost like it understands itself as part of a suite of documents. There are books, there are television shows, there are, uh, you know, motion pictures. There's so Mm -hmm. much material. There's people's memory of it or memory of what they think they know about it. Mm -hmm. And it just says, we're going to show you what we have and we're going to talk to the people who are still alive that agreed to talk to us. And I liked that. Just as a side note, I loved looking at all the fashion in the in the streets, <laughs> the hats yeah. and gloves and glasses and earrings and the men in suits and all of that. So I liked that very much. But I think transported is a great word, Murray. It really transported me to a different time. I was almost relieved that I didn't get any investigation and I didn't get any conspiracy mm. theories and we didn't even go to the Warren Commission. The last thing we had was oh, yeah. the funeral and that was that was enough. And I was certainly very pleased to hear from some of these people, as I mentioned, Sid Davis, the Washington correspondent in particular, who, I mean, he's a reporter, so his way of presenting information is really good, but he also has, a, has an emotional connection to that day. So four and a half for me. Dylan, conspiracy theories, what do people get out of holding them? And who well, is right? And who, who killed JFK? 
Mm. Yeah. Well, Who Killed JFK is an interesting one because when you messaged me about this, um, I said that I just recently started listening to a podcast about um, the same question called Who Killed Kennedy? It's by Rob Reiner, who, uh, you know, famous film maker, made Mm. uh, Spinal Tap and many other things. Um, And also Soledad O'Brien, who's a, you know, well-renowned journalist and um, presenter. Mm-hmm. They put this documentary together called Who Killed Kennedy? And it's very much an argument in favor of a conspiracy claim. Wow. Um, yeah, no, we're definitely, you know, it's only, as as we record this, I think they've only released four or maybe five episodes. Um, and as far as I've listened so far, we're up to the point where it's clearly the CIA behind it all. <laughs> uh, and and that Lee Oswald was um, absolutely a CIA asset. Um, hmm. So... You know that's that's an interesting perspective, and like I say, it's the most mainstream conspiracy theory. But f- fundamentally, and I'm not a psychologist, so all I can talk about is you know what I've sort of gathered and synthesized from the various psychologists I have spoken to about this stuff. But fundamentally, conspiracy theory usually boils down to this idea of um, we don't like. Uh, don't cope well with the idea that things are out of our control, that, that the world is chaos, that everything is, you know, nothing we do really can affect much beyond ourselves. So sometimes it's reassuring to believe that things that seem um, terrible or awful are, you know, controlled in some way, that they, that someone's behind them. And, and therefore, I suppose if you extend that idea that if you can find the them involved it's a capital t um mm-hmm. that you can stop them and maybe the bad things will stop happening so that's interesting i think and that's kind of fundamentally what conspiracy usually boils down to and then specific you know people believe lots of different conspiracy theories for lots of different reasons and you know one particular thing might have caught your attention and been a and been like a thing that drew you into a, a space that then is a lot more shall we say pro conspiracy um, mm-hmm. You know, once you're freaked out about the idea of vaccines, um, maybe you end up in a space where they're also talking about how, I don't know, um, about how the UN is trying to control the world. You know, that kind mm-hmm. of that kind of stuff. Slippery slope. The, yeah, they're so powerful. The UN is so powerful. Yeah, mm-hmm. and what's what's really interesting in listening to um, this podcast that I mentioned is obviously they're going to highlight the things that support the idea that they have, right? And so we hear a lot about, um, for example, that Lee Oswald maybe wasn't a very good Marine. And then was it weird that he ended up in this base in Japan where he had access to classified information and the U2 spy program? And then, you know, he got discharged from the Marines on a compassionate grounds because his mother was unwell, but then didn't go and spend much time with his mother and instead went to Russia to try and defect. Um, was that suspicious? Was he actually working for the CIA as a false defector? You know, and there's lots of information that they pluck out that supports that idea. And of course, this is what I was saying about how when we don't see the whole picture, we instead focus on little bits and they all fall into place to, to, to see what we want. And I think that's true in both directions, right? Because the Warren Commission report is almost certainly quite not perfect um there is absolutely maybe deliberately so 
<laughs> yeah, I think. <laughs> well, I mean, you know, basic stuff like um, the FBI field office in Dallas uh, was aware of Oswald from months before the assassination. He had they had spoken to people in his life. He had visited the FBI and told them to piss off, basically. Um, so you know, so obviously there's a desire to cover up their failings, and I think this is you know same with nine eleven in some respects as well. Sure. You know the the official report of nine eleven almost certainly has lots of faults, but most of those faults probably come down to ass covering more than um, hiding a massive conspiracy that exactly. involves thousands of people. Um, so I don't know. This is really interesting. There's a, there's a one thing that I find the thing that the thing that's always struck me as as being the biggest nail in the coffin against the idea of of Oswald being a patsy or not acting alone is that as far as I've ever seen any evidence of first of all him getting the job at the book depository was kind of just good luck fortuitous it was about a month beforehand and someone just happened to mention that there was this job available they knew someone you know so he didn't seek the job out he didn't go and try and find a job there someone told him about this job that was available and he went and applied for it and and was hired about a month beforehand and the other thing is that until roughly two days beforehand, no one knew that the motorcade was going to pass by there anyway. In fact, it wasn't even the most obvious. For, if you knew what the agenda was, where they were going to go ahead of time, it still wasn't particularly obvious that they were going to pass by. But obviously if the CIA was involved, maybe they could you know, make it go that way. <laughs> but the fact that he didn't engineer his job there has always struck me as a, as a big sticking, sticking point in the idea that it was a conspiracy that he was a part of. Yeah, is there's a this fascinating. I'm going to call it a documentary. It kind of sells itself as just being like a a 3D recreation of some of the aspects of the of the JFK assassination. But it's actually it's an hour and a half documentary on YouTube called "The Kennedy Assassination Inside the Book Depository." It's by this creator called Lemino, and it's it's incredibly detailed, an amazing sort of. 3D reconstructions, reconstructing time, showing documents, pulling together testimony and evidence. It's really incredible as kind of a an example of the counterpoint to a conspiracy theory, kind of putting together like here is all the things that support the idea that what took place was roughly what it appeared to be. So I'll, I'll flick you a link to that and you can do with as you please, but it's definitely we'll worth We'll put it in the show notes, definitely. Yeah. <laughs> But then my question, if if it is a conspiracy by the CIA, why did the CIA want Kennedy dead? Oh, there's plenty of oh, good reasons. They had lots of Sorry. reasons. <laughs> they had lots of reasons. He was actively planning to dismantle them and strip away some of their, their power. Mm-hmm. Um, John, F, uh, John F. Kennedy had a lot of enemies going into this uh, visit to Texas because he he the reason why a lot of people admired him as a president was because he was standing up against what we felt like were systemic forces that were keeping, you know, the American people down. So going against the CIA's, you know, wishes going up against the the mob and and claiming that the mob and the mafia was some, was the most detrimental to the um, like domestic life of, you know, people in the U S which, then made the FBI dislike him because the FBI was like, no, it's communism, not the mob. Um, when JFK was like, eh, communism is not really a big, big enough threat. 
at home. You know, we clearly know it was abroad. Um, so like he he went into it. Uh, he he in that trip had a lot of enemies, like far and wide, for some of these the changes he was trying to do. Also, the civil rights movement. He was a big proponent yes. uh, of the civil rights movement. A lot of people didn't agree with that. Um, Dylan, am I missing anything? <laughs> no, that's that's pretty much it. I mean, he was also his approach to the Cold War at that time was was um mm-hmm. more of a, a peacemaking approach than mm-hmm. perhaps some of the apparatus. Hawks. Yes. Yep, Hawks would have appreciated. Um, he was yes. regularly in direct contact with uh, with Khrushchev. So, you know. Yes. Uh-huh. Lots of reasons that people might not have liked him being in charge. Yeah. Here's, here's my thing about any conspiracy is that if more than one person is involved, hence the name conspiracy, every single person involved has to keep their mouth shut for the rest of their lives. Uh-huh. Yeah. Um, I mean, so, look, it's a little bit easier when you look at something like, you know, a conspiracy around JFK where the idea is that the CIA, who are an organization who are very good at doing clandestine things, it's fundamentally their whole, you know, thing. It's what they do. Um, and, you know, maybe they would have the resources and what's more, all the people involved who are, on their side already who are you know drinking from the CIA Kool-Aid would be there and able to execute something like this it gets mm-hmm. harder when you look at a conspiracy like um 9/11 where you've got you know you've got okay. i mean depending on which parts of a 9/11 conspiracy theory you believe but you've got you know maybe you've got firefighters involved because they lied about <laughs> what happened at World Trade Center 7 maybe you've got um like aircraft you know airline people involved because they lied about uh, what happened to the airliners? You know, all sorts of things. You, you start to, and if it's controlled demolition, you've got you know hundreds or thousands of explosive technicians who had to rig these buildings to explode. So that one definitely, like you're talking way too many people um, who aren't necessarily ideologically in the same place as you. But you know, I guess a JFK assassination could happen with a smaller number of people who are already ideologically in the same place, which is maybe easier. But still, we haven't really heard any solid no, no real strong whistleblower has come out that I know of and time time's yeah. running out <laughs> yeah well but yeah I guess it is maybe I I think someone said there's like a there's like a specific date at which a bunch of um potentially JFK related secret documents become unsecret but it's still quite a way off hmm. maybe that's the time we'll finally know yeah uh for me I would I would say I I always suggest last podcast on the left when I can, but I think they did a really good uh, series on the JFK assassination where they covered um, Lee Harvey Oswald's uh, upbringing, his flights through Russia and everything that Dylan talked about through the Kennedy assassination, through the Warren commission, all the way through a lot of the conspiracy theories. So, uh, cause it was a, it was like a, a five part uh, series that they did. On it, starting at episode 400. It's episode 400 to episode 405. It's it's a great in-depth, well-researched piece of media. And one of the places where I, I think I, I agree with kind of what they kind of concluded on what could have happened. And basically just this, a series of coincidences that led to JFK being in that spot at that time in Lee Harvey Oswald pulling the trigger and then 
whatever happened with the third shot. Uh, go, you, oh, you know, go. Actually, go. Mm-hmm. that reminds me. So it's two things. One is conspiracy theorists sometimes like to um, sort of sarcastically refer to non-conspiracy theorists as coincidence theorists, which I love. Oh, I um, love that. It's so good. Mm-hmm. I'm, I'm uh, one of those. <laughs> the other thing was I, I hadn't thought about until I watched episode one of this documentary series was if you wanted to assassinate JFK in Dallas, there were many better opportunities to do so. Yes. Like you wouldn't choose if, if that was your plan as and you and you couldn't fail, right? You, you can't fuck this up because, you know, if you screw it up and the plan comes out, then that's much worse. It's the worst outcome. So you can't screw it up. So you don't choose like a car going 30 miles an hour down a street from a weird vantage point. You know, you choose when he's doing a, a breakfast as you know, where he's standing at a podium or, or when he's meeting the the crowd at the airport, you know? So yeah, that's another like thing. every other president that had been assassinated before yeah. him, uh, you know, a handshake and a shot to the to, to belly is what was um, previously done to the three presidents, I believe, who were assassinated before him. So at this point in history, a, like a president dying from like a long range rifle wasn't something that was in the conscience of like no. the American people, you know, so, yeah. There's like Dylan was saying, sorry, didn't mean to interrupt you. There were much no, easier ways. <laughs> yeah. Even even for us, uh, just watching the footage and going, ooh, because it's very interesting how our views on you know keeping people safe and and what is possible have completely changed. Mm. Because you would just never see that kind of access that the public had to him. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah, and for me, the one of the reasons why I, I like definitely okayed us talking about this pro- this uh, property was because when I was in um, when I was going to school for forensic science, our intro to forensic science class each each time we had a different module, they had a study a famous case. I think I've talked about how like for John Benet Ramsey, we we for our, our handwriting. Um, module we had to do we had to follow the John Benet Ramsey case and for our ballistics module we had to actually do the JFK like the magic bullet and we had to basically do our own research and come down on our side of like was it a magic bullet is could one shot have done all of this and um it was some of the it was like some of my favorite research to do I saw like a history channel. I can't even remember. I wanted to look it, look it up for this podcast, but I, of course I couldn't find it. A history channel did a recreation of like a marksman doing the shot and all of that. And they mm. recreated everything about the bullet. And, and the whole reason why everybody gets the magic book so wrong is because they had the seating of the president and, and the um, governor wrong to begin yeah. with. Yeah. And I, I love that aspect of it all. Um, so that was definitely one of the reasons why I wanted to definitely cover this. And then it's not, it wasn't even in it. So it's fine. But, it's like, <laughs> <laughs> but there's just so many avenues um, with the JFK assassination. And it's almost like slide of, slide of hand. Dylan is like, let's focus on the magic bullet. You know, let's focus on this bullet. Yeah. How did this bullet do all of this? When that's probably not the bullet we should be worried about. Yeah, or just like, or just like, maybe they weren't sitting where you thought they were. Oh, okay. Yeah. Oh, now, now it works. Now there's a, a straight line trajectory that goes through all of those things. Oh, okay. Yeah. Mm-hmm. If he's leaning forward, then it works. Mm-hmm. If yes. he's leaning forward and sitting a little further towards the center of the car, then oh, now it works. Yes. <laughs> yes. Yeah. All right. 
Let's move on to our recommendations. Dylan, what do you have to recommend to our listeners? Can I give you two? Of course. Yeah. I'm going to give you two. Actually, can I give you 15? No, I'll just give you two. Um, <laughs> 15's fine, but they, my 15. finger might stray towards the <laughs> stop button. That's fine. I will, I will lose my train of thought. Um, so I've got two. One is um, Mr. Organ by my friend and previous collaborator, David Farrier. So he's the oh, guy I made Tickled yes, with. Tickled. And he has made another film called Mr. Organ, which is simultaneously a documentary and a horror film, in my opinion. It is a documentary, but you'll understand why it's a horror film if you watch it. Mm-hmm. Um, available for places, you know, on places where you rent and buy films, apparently. Um, and the other one is a series on, I think it's Netflix in most of the world, but HBO in the States, which is Last Stop Larimer. Um, yes. Which is one of those just fantastic documentaries where you're like, wow, these people were in the right place and had the right access, and this is a story I cannot believe as it's unfolding. We've had that recommendation from a few of our listeners, so they'll be pleased, Dylan, that you agree with them. Oh, I, I could talk about it for, no, I, I won't say that because then you'll make come me back talk and about t- it. So, come back and talk yeah. about it, yeah, sure. <laughs> I can talk sure. about it for hours. Yes. Uh, Mari, what about you? What do you have to recommend? Okay, before I get to my recommendations, I forgot that I did also want to re- recommend um, Unexplained Season 6, Episode 5, Strange Stories of the President. Um, it just came out almost three weeks ago. Um, and JFK's brain going missing is one of the stories on that. So, again, if you want a little bit more of the conspiracy slash cover up uh, side of it, that's something else you can you can check out, too. But for my actual recommendations, I first want to recommend I watched uh, Big Vape, The Rise and Fall of Jewel on Netflix. It was I believe it was a three part series, if I remember correctly, three or four, maybe four. Can't remember. But because I watched it straight, I actually watched it straight and I didn't for no reason at all other than it was pretty good. And it's about um, how two tech bros basically from Silicon Valley wanted to what they create what they thought was creating a smoking secession device where they both smoked they wanted a a way that they could stop smokers from smoking while also kind of getting that hit of nicotine without all of the harmful chemicals and stuff like that so they created Juul um it it's a really good really good series talks about when the tech world meets like the public health sector and how they completely kind of got it wrong <laughs> in so many ways uh, because it turned into an epidemic among uh, teenagers who were addicted to nicotine. So very, very good docuseries. I would definitely suggest on Netflix. And if you've watched it, uh, let us know, um, send us a, a rating, review, email, whatever. Let me know if you liked it. And then I also finally got around to watching Shiny Happy People. Um, the uh, docuseries, four-part part, part docuseries about the the Duggars, but more importantly about the IBLP and the like the, the Christian religious homeschooling of it all. Um, I found that so good, Sarah. I know you recommended it when it came out. I, I found it interesting because at first I just thought it was going to be about the Duggars, but I like that it actually had more about the the um, church behind them and stuff like that. Yeah, I think that's what makes it more powerful than just yeah. oh, look at these creeps. Yeah, I and I honestly, because I never watched 
the, the show. I never, you know, I, uh, the only way that I was exposed to the Duggars were through like the commercials in between, like watching 90 Day Fiance. And I had no clue that they weren't Mormons. I just, I don't know why I just automatically assumed they were Mormons for some reason. But um, f- uh, finding more about like the Quiverful stuff, we've touched on that when we talked about um, our father and stuff like that. Um, and learning about the IBLP, which that was so interesting. Yeah, I, I, I just, I don't know. It was one of those things where when it came out, everybody was so talking about it. I kind of wanted it to be different. I was like, I'm going to do that. <laughs> contrary. Contrary. Yeah, contrary. Yeah. yeah. Yes. And I finally, I finally had time and I watched it. And I thought it was very, very interesting. So again, and the, ca- the courage of the daughters is what stays with me. Yes, very, very much that. Very much that. But what about you, Sarah? Anything you recommend? Yes, I'm going to recommend a podcast. It's called The Vanishing of Vivian Cameron, and it comes from the Case File team. Uh, It concerns a murder in the small and close-knit community living on Phillip Island, which is uh, in Victoria. And it's available only on Spotify, but it's worth seeking out. It's sort of a small story done extremely well, an unhappy wife, an affair, a young mistress. You know, you get the picture, but uh, yes, it's it's very good, and I do recommend it. At Crime Scene, we're eager to hear your feedback and suggestions for future episodes. You can follow Crime Scene on Twitter at Crime Scene RHAP. That's S E E N, or email us at Crime Scene RHAP at gmail dot com. We're also on TikTok at Crime Scene, and on Instagram, uh, Threads, and Facebook at Crime Scene Podcast. And please remember to subscribe to our feed by going to robhasawebsite.com slash crime feed. It makes a big difference. Yes, thank you. Dylan, what have you got going on and where can the people find you? Uh, I continue to have nothing going on that I can talk about. Um, and they can find me on social media. It's a conspiracy. He's, it he's plotting. A conspiracy. He's plotting something. Exactly. Uh, I'm plotting many things, um, but none of them I can tell you about. So for the time being, mm-hmm. I'm just... Dylan Reeve in most of the places where you can be Dylan Reeve. I'm on, I'm still on the hell site watching yes. Elon um, spiral the drain. It's quite yes. Actually, your your mention of the of the tech bros in the dual situation just I just made me think. I'm just I'm gonna I've made a note saying um tech bro hell, which I'm gonna yeah. get into, <laughs> turn into a documentary series pitch. Yes, there you go. <laughs> and what about you, Mary? What have you got going on? You can follow me on Twitter at Mari Talks Too Much, to like the number two. Um, other than that, I'm just on here with you, Sarah. And then we're we're wrapping up coverage of rap shit over on the Connect on Post Show Recaps. That's me and Chappelle um, covering season two of Rap Shit on HBO. So you can check that out by going to postshowrecaps.com slash connect. Sarah, where can the people find you? Uh, people can follow me on the hell site <laughs> at Sarah Carradine and uh, at, on other social media, the same. On Post Show Recaps, I've just wrapped up my coverage of the Buccaneers and I'm covering the Artful Dodger and bringing you a full spoiler recap of the whole season of A Murder at the End of the World. You can also find my coverage of Squid Game on Silent Podcasts along with a compelled episode about Brig Brother Australia, House of Love which um, I just cannot not recommend lowly enough. But, you know, it's very yeah. amusing to listen to me and Annabelle Fiddler talk about it. Cannot not recommend? I'm just like, 
Is that well, you know, you know recommending? No, I cannot. I can't cannot not recommend not. it lowly enough. I can't get low enough. Okay. <laughs> don't watch it is what you're saying. Yes. I'm saying not only don't watch it, but wipe any idea of it from your brain. It's oh, that's good, because I literally so only got bad. that idea a few moments ago when you mentioned it the first time. <laughs> but by all means, listen to Annabelle Fiddler uh, from The Traders Australia Season 2, and I talk about it and cry <laughs> on silent podcasts. Next time on Crime Scene, we're covering a much-requested property, uh, so please do send your requests in. We do listen. It's Exposed, the Ghost Train Fire, and our guest will be Sarah D. Bunting. You can watch it on Netflix and send us your comments and questions. Thanks to Dylan Reeve for joining us, Will from America for the theme music, and the whole RHAP team behind the scenes. Until next time, case, case closed. closed. Question mark?